0: Welcome to a series of netcasts brought to you by Yale University.
1: Hello, my name is Kelly Brownell. I'm the director of the Rudd Center for Food Policy and Obesity at Yale University. Our guest for the second of two podcasts is Kurt Ellis, who was co-creator and producer of the movie King Corn, which was released in 2007 and aired by the public broadcasting system in 2008 in a film that had a remarkable impact on the way the nation views agriculture and food policy. Subsequent to that, Kurt, with a group of colleagues, founded an organization called the Food Corps, which is a a very innovative organization which is doing remarkable work in communities related to food and food policy issues. And I'd like uh, in this podcast to talk about the issue of the Food Corps. So Kurt, welcome.
0: Thank you so much.
1: What was the impetus for the Food Corps, and how did it come about?
0: Food Corps really started because um, we saw a problem and a solution kind of sitting out in front of ourselves. And uh, the problem is the tremendous rates of childhood obesity and diabetes and the lack of access to healthy food among kids today. Uh, The solution is that there's an incredible wave of interest among young leaders in America uh, who want to get involved in addressing these very problems. And we decided to just play matchmaker and uh, take advantage of the model of AmeriCorps National Service that has worked so well for organizations like Teach for America and Habitat for Humanity uh, to build an infrastructure in which these emerging leaders in the fields of food and farming and public health could work in a school environment to address childhood obesity.
1: And when you say we, there were a group of people involved in the initiation of the Food Corps?
0: There were. There are six of us who started the organization together, uh, and uh, now it's led by me along with Deborah Eschmeyer, uh, who came to us from the National Farm to School Network. She's a James Beard Leadership Award winner and a uh, former Kellogg Food and Community Fellow, a uh, longtime voice in the, the school food conversation, and Cecily Upton, who before joining Food Corps was uh, heading up youth programs for Slow Food USA.
1: And so tell us what the Food Corps is and and
0: how it operates. So you can think of Food Corps as a kind of Peace Corps for healthy school food. Uh, We recruit emerging leaders for a year of full-time, modestly paid public service, uh, working and living in a high-obesity, limited-resource community. And during their year of national service, uh, Food Corps service members work under the direction of a local partner organization uh, to create a school food environment uh, that is all about the health of kids. And really, we see that as having three elements. Uh, We think every child in America deserves to grow up knowing what healthy food is and having some idea of where it comes from. So our service members do food and nutrition education uh, that help kids understand what a healthy diet is like. Uh, we also believe kids in America deserve a chance to get their hands in, their, in the dirt and really engage with healthy food on a firsthand tactile level. So we do school garden projects that engage children in growing fresh food and get them to taste new foods themselves and engage parents and community members in the life of food in a school. And then the third thing we think every child in America deserves is to have access to healthy, high-quality food every day. And uh, we do that through farm-to-school programs that link school cafeterias up with high-quality food from local producers and uh, help transform what's actually served on a lunch tray for 32 million children in America who eat school lunch. Why do
1: you believe it's important for the children to have their hands in the dirt and be involved with food at that level rather than just being given access to healthy food?
0: You know, we we all kind of grew up, I think, with the, the four food groups or the food pyramids. And, you know, we've all gotten nutrition education, and we've all been told to eat our vegetables. And for those of us who have had an opportunity to actually eat vegetables, many of us have pushed them off our plates. And uh, the reality is Americans aren't eating well at all levels of society. And food culture gets set really young. And uh, we think kids deserve to eat better serve to set this generation on a, on a path towards health and wellness by getting them excited about eating a, a healthy diet. And when it comes to getting kids to eat fruits and vegetables, the studies have shown that school garden programs are pretty effective at that. Kids eat, uh, on average, one more fruit or vegetable serving per day if they are involved in a, in a school garden program.
1: So is the idea that if, if they're willing to grow it or they somehow see this happening, that they're more willing to experiment more liking the the foods when they eat them?
0: Yeah, if you, if you just put a piece of broccoli on a child's plate and tell them to eat it, uh, they may well say no. They don't eat green things. But if that child has grown that broccoli from seed or from a seedling and they have smelled the leaves and kicked the aphids off of it and they have harvested it themselves and they have the kind of pride in creating that vegetable that is only possible if you've grown it yourself, then they will try it and they will like it. And once they've tried something and admitted they like it, then there's a real chance to get them to try it again the next day on their lunch train. Um
1: Is there evidence that what is happening to the children in the schools um, uh, percolates back into the homes?
0: Absolutely. So um, in our case, we send service You know, our service members send kids home with recipes and uh, oftentimes with produce from the garden so they could make salsa at home with their families and bring that for a snack the next day. And uh, we really feel like the most important thing is engaging families together. So we bring parents to the school garden and we bring kids to the school garden and we get them to spend time together uh, connecting with healthy, high-quality food.
1: And you mentioned that uh, that your national office uh, creates uh, collaborative relationships with local organizations that occur out there and then your people are placed in those organizations. What would be examples of some of those organizations that exist?
0: Sure. So uh, we realized early on in, in planning Food core that we don't need to create a kind of top-down cookie-cutter model for improving school food in America. There are unbelievable organizations already leading this work around the country. And the opportunity that's there is for us to connect with those organizations, help connect them to each other, and then put boots on the ground the, in the form of service members who uh transform school food and communities through their direction. So uh, in the state of Maine, for instance, uh, we partner at the state level with University of Maine Cooperative Extension, and we've worked with them to build out a network of community-level partners, uh, nonprofit organizations based in a particular place where a service member might show up to work each morning. Um, in New Mexico, uh, we partner with the University of New Mexico Office of Community Learning and Public Service. And next door in Arizona, we work mostly in Native communities and have partnered with the Johns Hopkins Center for American Indian Health. Well, so it sounds like there are a wide variety of these programs
1: around the country doing very innovative work.
0: It, it's an incredible thing that's happened uh, in, in the last decade. The the uh, expansion of farm to school and school garden organizations around the country and uh, they're all eager to scale up and food core is really an opportunity to to tap into their knowledge base and their resources and their tremendous local connections but then increase the work they're able to do and the number of kids they're able to reach by putting more boots on the ground and how many people are you placing in such positions now so food core has a, a first class in the field right now there are 50 people uh, selected from a Candidate pool of twelve hundred and twenty nine uh, applicants uh, serving in these twelve states. Uh, ten sorry, ten states currently that we work in. We're expanding to twelve states this summer, and uh, we're actually looking to double our service force from fifty service members to a hundred. Were you surprised when, in the, in the first year of the program, you received so many applications? What do you think that indicates? Absolutely, uh, you know, it it indicates just an unbelievable interest among emerging leaders in the farm and food conversation right now. People really want to roll up their sleeves and make a difference. People really want to help kids connect to healthy food. People want to transform the lives and the health outcomes of this next generation that's coming along. And uh, they're looking for ways to do it. And we think FoodCorps is a really wonderful avenue for these young leaders to, to get involved. In the previous podcast that we recorded where we talked about
1: food policy, agriculture subsidies, and the like, You mentioned that an infrastructure had been built around current farm policies that is promoting overconsumption of things like corn and meat from the animals that are eating the corn and things. What sort of an infrastructure is going to be necessary in order to promote healthy food?
0: We think that infrastructure begins in school in that uh, we think those three things that that every kid deserves, the the knowledge of what healthy food is and where it comes from, the hands-on engagement with healthy food through a school garden, and the access to healthy food in their school cafeteria. If we can get a school food environment constructed around the country that has those three things in place, then we'll have the infrastructure for a better food system, not just for kids, but but for everybody. And the most complicated, but at the end of the day, most important piece of that puzzle is the last one, is the access piece. Uh, and we work in particular at FoodCorps on getting local food infrastructure back on its feet so that high-quality farmers growing food sustainably and responsibly uh, are able to have a direct market to schools that feed kids. And it, it turns out it's a $10 billion annual market, the school food market, and there's 32 million mouths a day being fed there. So if we can give farmers an opportunity to grow and sell the very highest quality food to children, uh, we're going to get those farms back on their feet so they can supply the rest of us as well. So the other, another part of food, of course, in schools is what's being served
1: in the cafeteria. And you hear stories about food becoming so mechanized and so much processed food being offered in school cafeterias that the uh, food service people are good at using box cutters and putting things in fryers and the like. Uh, or just heating up things in the oven, but don't know how to use knives to cut vegetables and things because that's just not the, word, the way food service has evolved. Do you see that changing? And are the the insertion of the food core service people affecting what's going on
0: in the food service part of the schools? Sure. I, I think, you know, we've, in, in the mechanization of the food system and the mechanization of school food in particular, we've destroyed a tremendous number of high quality jobs. Uh, used to be that there were real opportunities to cook high-quality food. You could consider yourself a chef. You could consider yourself a kind of teacher uh, if you were creating high-quality food for kids and getting them excited about eating it. Um, we've taken that away from our present system in too many ways, and I think there are real opportunities to begin bringing some of those jobs back and uh, helping local farmers grow high-quality food getting local processing plants back open so that we process that food minimally, but get it chopped and cleaned and ready for the the school cafeteria. And then help turn lunch ladies and lunch gentlemen uh, really into cooks and into chefs, not just into food reheaters or custodial staff.
1: You know, I've heard stories, but I'll be curious about your response to this too, of schools that have made those sort of changes, and the morale in the food service people goes way up because they take more pride in their work. They feel like they're they're closer to the students who aren't just customers any longer, but are people that they're interacting with, um, and that they're learning new skills and have, have, as I said, more pride in what they're serving to the students. Is that consistent with what you have observed?
0: Absolutely. I mean, people go into food service careers because they believe food matters. I think, you know, we're, we're, we have this uh, this belief that food is love in some way in our culture, or that food is about family, or food is about culture. It really is food gets to the the very essence of who we are and what we care about. And uh, if we can take that energy and move it in a positive direction and give uh, food service workers and food service directors an opportunity to really put high-quality food on the table for children, I think that's something we'll all feel pretty great about.
1: With more and more community organizations caring about food, And given the size of your applicant pool in your very first year of operation, you could easily see this being a thriving enterprise with um, putting many more service members into places. Is that your hope?
0: That's very much the hope. Uh, so we're doubling in size this year, and uh, we feel that it's highly possible to, to scale FoodCorps up to be a 50-state organization that really is doing this work all across the country.
1: And right? what's needed to make that happen?
0: Uh, it'll take money. So, you know, we're collecting donations on our website, and we're a- applying for grants and looking for support wherever we can. Um, but it'll take also talent, and uh, we're looking for the, the most passionate emerging leaders in the field to really decide to roll up their sleeves and get involved.
1: So if people wish to learn more about the Food Corps and perhaps to contribute to the cause, where would they go?
0: They'd just go to foodcorps.org.
1: Okay. Thank you so much. You know, we've had we have a lot of guests doing these podcasts and everybody is doing important work. This feels especially important to me. Not only is the work important, it's addressing a very important social cause, but you're really creating the next generation of leaders. So... You know, uh, God bless you. Good luck with this work, and let's hope that, th- that it thrives as you wish. Thank you so much. Our guest today was Kurt Ellis, who was um, co founder and director of the Food Corps, headquartered in New York City. Uh, please visit our website, www.yalerudcenter.org, where you'll find a variety of resources, including another podcast that we've recorded with Kurt and podcasts from a variety of other distinguished figures in the field. Thank you.